If you have your Bibles tonight, you're in the seventh chapter of Hebrews. And we're going to be picking up in verse number 11, going through verse number 22. If you had to put a title uh, on this evening's message, it would be A Better Hope. I have found out that when you take someone's hope away, they die. Many of you have seen those who have come and they've gotten in addiction or whatever the case may be and they've lost any hope. And they just don't last. I've also seen those who have worked very hard and uh, they've uh, finally come to time of retirement and for some strange reason, uh, there have been those uh, said, well, you can go ahead and take it easy. You can go ahead and get in your rocking chair. And uh, they'll go ahead and take that advice, which, by the way, is bad advice. Because it took their purpose away. When you take a man's purpose away, you've taken his hope away. And when you've taken his hope away, you've taken his life away. But I'm here to tell you tonight, I'm glad that we have a better hope because we have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And here in the passage that uh, is before us tonight, uh, as we are now uh, continuing, we've looked at the uh, order of Melchizedek. And of course, Melchizedek, he was a real man. He was not, uh, uh, he was not uh, a pre-incarnation uh, uh, appearance of the Lord Jesus. He was not an angel. He was a real man. He was a real priest. Uh, and we see that he changes. When he comes onto the scene, he changes the whole priesthood order. And so the question is... Why would God allow that? Why did God do that? Why did He bring a change? Because if you go back to Aaron, and you'll see that you can trace uh, the priesthood starting with Aaron and going on the way down. And we talked about this last week is uh, genealogy was very important for them. Matter of fact, if you could not trace a genealogy that goes back to where they came from that tribe, the tribe of Levi, then that disqualified them from being in the priesthood. It was very important. Also, it was very important that the priest had certain physical characteristics about him. He could have no blemish. He he could have no deformities. So that would mean that if I was living back in that time and, uh, and with my eyesight issue, I would be disqualified because I had a deformity. But here we see that then he makes mention of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek, they could not trace his genealogy. They, they didn't know where he started. They didn't know where it ended. But they could do that with Aaron. And so why did the Lord allow that change? And the reason why He allowed that change is because He was setting His plan that had been formed before the foundations of the world were established, that He was setting the puzzle, He was moving the chess pieces, if you were, and He was setting up the order of Melchizedek to show a type of the one, the greater priest, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ because He had no beginning. He has no end. And so we're picking up with that and we're going to see three things tonight in the passage. And in verses 11 through 12, we're going to see that there was a problem. As we read, starting with verse number 11, it says, If therefore 
Perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. What function need was there that another... Now that word there, another, means one of a different kind. Okay? Very important to understand that. He says, so what was, the, the, what was further need uh, was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron. And look at verse number 12. For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. Then you also look at verses 18 through 19. And the first thing that we're going to see tonight is that there was a problem. There was a problem with the law. But then we're going to get into verses 13 going through verse number 17. And we're going to see that there was the power. And then the last thing that will be in verses 20 through 22 tonight. We're going to see there was a promise. So tonight, we're going to, for the just a few moments, by the grace of the Lord, we're going to look at a better hope. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the power of your word. And Lord, I'm fully understanding tonight. There could be a whole lot better preaching from this pulpit Lord, I understand that there are those who are even more gifted. But Lord, you have chosen me. And Lord, because of that, I thank you for it. I understand it's all by your grace I'm able to stand before these dear people tonight. And I pray tonight that you would use me as your instrument. Lord, that you would help me not to be given Mike's opinion. Mike thinks about the situation. But Lord, help me to preach your word under your power. They haven't come out on a Sunday night, a rainy night, uh, 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 where the weather is changing. They haven't come out to hear a man speak, but they've come to hear from you. So Lord, would you use me tonight, and I'll be very quick to give you all glory and honor for what you've done and for what you're going to do. And we thank you for this wonderful passage that's been set before us. Thank you for the wonderful, blessed hope that we have in a person by the name of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray this prayer. Amen. So we see here, he starts now to talk about a blessed hope. I've already talked about that when you take a man's purpose from him, you take his hope, and if you take his hope, then uh, he's, uh, you've taken his life. And so here we see that back when you go back to the, uh, the Old Testament, and we're going to see here in these passages, there's a contrast between the Old Covenant. Now, when I'm talking about the Old Covenant or talking about the law, I'm not necessarily talking about the whole law, but I'm talking about the law as in regards to the priesthood and the functions of the priesthood and what they were supposed to do. And, and so when you uh, the, uh, live back in the Old Testament times, the priest was supposed to be giving hope. 
But we understand that he could not really give hope because the sacrifices that were being brought to him, and especially on the Day of Atonement when he went and took the sin offering into the Holy of Holies, uh, where he was going on behalf of the people, and the priests, they were the mediator between a holy God and, and the people there. We understand there was a problem with the law. The law was imperfect. Why was the law imperfect? Now, it was not imperfect because of the content. Matter of fact, the, the law was not bad. The law's purpose was to reveal sin. See, the law was given to show that man was sinful. And the law was also given to, to show that man needed to have a relationship with God. But in the Old Testament priesthood, they could not give that because what they were giving was imperfect. How do we know it was imperfect? Because they had to continue doing it over and over and over again. Every year. The high priest had to go in and, and, and offer a sin offering on behalf of the people year after year after year. And then the writer of Hebrews is showing the contrast. And he also said that if the first covenant was flawless, then why did they need to be a second one? He goes on and says, if the priesthood was intact and the priesthood was doing what it was designed to do, why did you have to have, after that priest died, you had to have another priest. And after that priest, you had to have another priest. And after that priest, you had to have another priest. And on so it goes. And now we start to see the contrast because Jesus Christ, who is our great high priest, we understood uh, and we understand tonight is his priesthood will never end. He's the same yesterday, he's the same today, and he will be the same tomorrow. But then we also see that because of the priesthood, that there was a problem with that because it was not able to fulfill. Matter of fact, in verse number 18, going into verse 19, it says this, it said that the law was weak. Why was the law weak? It's God's Word, right? The Ten Commandments. We can go on and on and, 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 and talk about uh, the commandments and talk about the law in that day. But we understand it was weak. Here again, not because of the content, but because you had to be able to fulfill that law in your flesh. And your flesh is weak and your flesh cannot do it. Amen. And too many of us are living in the flesh. Too many of our churches are operating in the flesh. See, we've lost sight that it's the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that gifts a man and calls a man to be a preacher. But now in the modern church, we're seeing we want to see a resume. We want to see how many degrees they have. We want to know where, what school they came in out of. We want to know how much experience they had. And we don't even want to ask, have you really been called of God? And what are you resting your abilities to preach the Word? Is it your education or is it because you feel a call of God in your life and He's empowering you to preach from on high. Amen. We've lost sight of that. We're, the church is operating just like the secular world. 
It's about this credentials and his credentials, his diplomas and his diplomas and all that. And we've lost sight that the only way we can fulfill what we've been given to do, which is preach the gospel and to edify the saints, is that if we're not doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit, we're not going to be able to do it. The flesh is weak. But then it also says in verse number 18, going into verse number 19, it says that the law profit absolutely nothing. See, what happened with the law is the law could just reveal sin, but Jesus removed sin. And so we see here there was a problem with the law. Now, I've already made mention of, it's not because of the content of it. And also, we need also understand this, is that the second covenant or the priesthood that came in after Melchizedek, talking about the priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ, is not one of these things where God says, okay, this, we're going to try this for a while. And as it goes along, he starts to see, where well, the law is not able to do uh, what I was wanting it to. Uh, it's just revealing sin. It's not able to remove sin. And says, well, I, might, I, I guess i got to go ahead and tweak this thing. No, 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 no. God does not make mistakes. And God had a plan. And His plan that He was going to send His only Son to be our sacrifice. And not a sacrifice to cover our sin, but a sacrifice to remove our sins as far as the east is from the west. But in Hebrews uh, chapter 8, verse number 7, it said, and made mention that the first, if it was flawless, then why did you need to have a second? We've already answered that question there. But we also need to see that Jesus understood that the law in and itself was not bad because Jesus said this. Jesus said, I've come not to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill the law. See, Jesus even would quote and he would refer to Old Testament. And and so Jesus himself didn't do away with the law, but this is what Jesus said about the law. He says, now, oh, if you went and you were trying to operate in your flesh and you were trying to fulfill the, uh, the demands of the law, then, you're, then it would not be done because you're doing it in your flesh. But he says, I will help you and I will put the law in your heart. And then you're able to fulfill the law, not because of your abilities, but because of what he has done for us. And so he goes on and he talks about of uh, the all uh, and, 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 and talks about or removing. But also, I found it quite interesting here, uh, and I talked uh, to uh, some of our uh, Jewish friends as well. Uh, there in the service, uh, they would read from the Torah, and then they would read from the prophets. And Jeremiah chapter 31, I find it interesting in, your, in looking in verse number 31, going through verse number 34. But Jeremiah, of course, he was a prophet. So this is well before Jesus comes onto the scene. In Jeremiah chapter 31, it said that the days will come. That the days will come uh, that I will bring a new covenant. 
See, God had already planned. This this, uh, covenant and uh, this new priesthood, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, was not an afterthought. It was planned well back. Even Jeremiah makes mention, he says, the day is going to come when there's going to be a new covenant that will be established with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Now, understand, I did not get an opportunity. I'm going to have another visit with the rabbi, but this is the question I'm going to ask. You do understand that there's only one way to come to know that you can go to heaven. See, the Lord Jesus, even though Israel is called the apple of His eye, we understand when we go into the tribulation period uh, that his, uh, the main focus uh, is going to be uh, on Israel. He has a special place for the uh, Israeli people. By the way, oh, not a lot of people think about this, but because we have befriended Israel, I believe with all my heart, because we have been a friend to Israel, God has blessed us. Because the Bible says, if you bless Israel, He will bless you. We understand all of that. But they still have to get saved the same way. They have to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. He is the perfect sacrifice. He's the one that even Jeremiah was talking about. He says, there's going to come a day. I'm going to establish a new covenant with Israel and with Judah. He goes on and says that it will not be the covenant that was with the fathers when they came out of Egypt. He says, that's not what I'm talking about. He says, I'm talking about that this law that I'm going to come uh, to bring is not a law that you do outwardly but it's a law that I will place in your heart and then he goes on and says in Jeremiah 31 through 34 he says that this covenant that I'm going to be bringing to you will be a covenant to where you don't have to just have your sins covered but you'll have your sins removed Jeremiah was talking about Jesus And so we also understand that uh, there was a problem with that. But then we see in verses 13 through 17 that we now have power. Now notice the power that he's talking about here. Looking at verse number 13. He says, For he of whom... These things are spoken pertaining to another tribe of which no man gave attendance at the altar. Again, he is referring to the tribe. The the tribe where the priest comes out of is the tribe of Levi. But here, the Hebrew writer says, there's a greater priest coming. He's going to be greater than Aaron and he's going to be greater than Melchizedek. See, Melchizedek was greater than Aaron. Aaron, you can trace. Aaron, you knew when he died and when his priesthood ended. Melchizedek, we did not know when he began. We do not know when he ended. And that, of course, is a picture of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So you had Aaron, Melchizedek was a greater priest than Aaron, but the Lord Jesus is the greatest priest of all. 
He comes out of a different tribe. He comes out of the tribe of Judah. Then he goes on and he says that they give no thought about that. In verse 14 he says, For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which the tri this tribe Moses did not speak anything concerning the priesthood. And it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest. He's talking about Jesus. Then in verse 16, he goes on and says, Who is made not after the law of a cardinal commandment. He's talking about the, the law that he's referring to is the law that you had to fulfill in your flesh. He says, no, 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 no. He, 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 he's not coming out of that. He, he goes and he says, but after the power of an endless life. <laughs> Did you catch that? Now let's go back. Aaron died, right? Then we know Melchizedek. We have no record of when he died, but we know because he was a man, he died. Then the writer says, There's, here's where the real power of the priesthood is. This priest I'm talking about, the Lord Jesus, never died. Matter of fact, he's alive and well tonight. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us even tonight. And the, uh, we also understand that he says, not only is he sitting at the right hand of the Father, but there's going to come a time, and I believe with all my heart, that it's coming soon, sooner than we realize tonight, that he's going to get up from where he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, and the Father says, it's time to go. And then the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that he's going to come in the clouds, and then we're going to see there will be a great shout, and those who are dead in the grave will rise and those who are alive will be changed forevermore and will be caught up together in glory forever and ever. But the story doesn't stop there. It says not only will he call the church but then after the tribulation period that you read about in the book of Revelation at the end of that period he's going to come back and we're going to come back with him and he's going to set up his millennial reign and we'll be reigning with him and we understand that he is king of kings and he's Lord of lords. And our Lord Jesus, who's our great high priest, who never fails us, he intercedes for us, he speaks for us, he's going to come again and we're going to receive him and forevermore we're going to be in glory, worshiping because he's worthy of our worship tonight. <laughs> Praise his name. He's the great high priest. And he's the one who will never die. And because he never died, you that have trusted in him, you'll never die as well. <laughs> Glory to God. We live forever. This is all temporary down here. What we have waiting for us will be for all eternity. Bless his holy name. And there's power. See, there was resurrection power. I can't help but get a little excited when I go to the cemetery and thinking one day those who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, their graves are going to open up. Won't that be a sight? 
Every time I go and do a graveside service, I'll tell the ones that are gathered around that grave, especially those uh, uh, that uh, know that their loved one because of the testimony of their loved one. I said, wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if he just came today? Those graves popping up and here we are and we're going up. We have a blessed hope tonight. See, we can get through anything down here. You may be struggling with something. Maybe you're thinking, you know, Lord, I've been praying about this and I'm still going. Maybe you're on the verge of losing a job. Maybe you're having relationship issues. Maybe your finances are not what you were hoping. Maybe your health is starting to fail you tonight. i got good news for you. When you start to realize what you have waiting for you there in glory, you'll be able to get what life throws your way down here. We have a blessed hope. Paul said it this way. Paul said not to sorrow and not to grieve. It's okay to sorrow and it's okay to grieve. It's okay to weep. But then he goes on and says, but don't sorrow and grieve like those who have no hope. Glory to God. We have a blessed hope that God is going to do what he said he was going to do. And so we see that there was an endless life. But then, in verses 20 through 22, we see a blessed promise. Now, the promise that he made here and the blessed hope that we have is... uh, Just go ahead and look, uh, starting in verse number 20. Listen to what he says. He says, And in so much is not without an oath he was made priest. Now he's talking, goes back, and he's referring to Aaron. Aaron was never ordained of God, and God never gave him an oath. Okay? Then he goes on and he says, For those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swore and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever and forever and you will be like unto the order of Melchizedek whose priesthood, even though we know it stopped, there's no recording of when it stopped. Then look at verse 22. By so much was Jesus made a surety. Now that's a very interesting word. What is a surety of? He's a surety. See, I was trying to do it in Hebrew and I got all messed up. He said a surety of a better testament. Now that word testament is a favorite word through the book of Hebrews. It also can mean covenant. It's used 21 times in this letter. But the surety, what does that mean? It means a person who will guarantee that the arrangements that have been made will be carried out. Now watch this. We see there was sureties with Judah. In Genesis chapter 43, Judah, of course we know, he, had, he was the surety of the father of Benjamin. He promised the father of Benjamin that the boy would come home safely. He was a surety. 
He made sure the terms of the agreement would be carried out. But we also see in Philemon, Paul was a surety for Onesimus. He made arrangements for Onesimus and Paul carried them out. Then he says, there's coming another priest, one far greater than Melchizedek, the Lord Jesus, and he's our surety that the arrangement that God the Father has made, Jesus will see to it that they get carried out. Now, I'm going to tell you, I don't trust a a lot of people when it comes to financial and whatnot. Uh, You know, I'm just, I I guess I ought to get better about that. But uh, uh, when people start dealing with your money or any other type of agreement, uh, you hear uh, just just horrible stories, don't you? Oh, I trusted this guy and he took me for all my life savings. We hear it all the day, don't we? They come to you and say, hey, I'll make sure that you, uh, you, you have a financial advisor. And, and they'll say, I'll take care of you. You, you hear of uh, uh, those who are very wealthy and they placed it all their trust in someone that's going to take care of their financial arrangements and comes to find out they, the guy stole them blind. You hear stories like that all the time, don't you? But I guarantee you, and by the authority of the Word of God, the arrangements that God the Father has made with the Son, Jesus will carry them out to fruition. The Bible says, and the Old Testament talks all the way through. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to go and, and to be able to talk uh, to, uh, to our, our Jewish friends there because all through the Old Testament you see Talking about Jesus. Isaiah, talking about Jesus. Jeremiah, talking about Jesus. All through the Scripture, through the Old Testament, it's talking about Jesus. And then God made a promise back before the foundations of the world were established. Did you hear what I said? It was before the foundations of the world were established. God had a plan. And his plan was he was going to send his only son to be our sacrifice. And he was going to die on a cross because of your sin and my sin. And the promise that he made that he was going to send his son, he delivered upon. But Jesus also made a promise Jesus was trying to tell the disciples. He says, now listen. And he used the analogy of the temple. He says, the temple's going to be, and he says, but in three days. He told them, he says, I'm coming back in three days. They didn't quite get that. But on the third day, he arose from the grave. But then he goes on. He doesn't stop there. And he also said that if you have confessed and repented of your sins and you believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by faith you accept Him as your Lord and Savior, He says He will forgive you of your sin. And not only will He forgive you, but He will remove it as far as the east is from the west and He will bring it to remembrance no more. But then he didn't stop there. He also said, not only will I forgive you of your sins, but Jesus said, I've come to give 
life and give it more abundantly. We need to understand tonight, even though we're looking towards heaven and we can't wait to get to heaven, but we have a job to do down here. And we still have been left into this world. And we've been left in this world to show a lost and dying world that Jesus does make a difference. And you can trust Jesus. And Jesus has never forfeited on any of his promises. And there's one promise that's left and you can go ahead, you can write it down, you can trust in the fact he's going to deliver on that promise as well. He says, not only will I give you abundant life, but he says, I will give you eternal life. But he didn't stop there. He says, I'm going to come and get you. And I'm going to take you home. And I'm going to take you to a place that he talks about there in John chapter 14. He says, now I'm going to go into prayer place. And Thomas says, but Lord, how do we get there? And Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. See, you can have access to a holy God. Why? Because Jesus Christ is our surety. And he will deliver. He will deliver. Tonight, we're here on a Sunday night. And I know this is the cream of the crop. But it could very well be that someone has slipped in that has never trusted Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been looking. I'm starting to talk to people and, and it seems like people are a little more opinionated these days and a little, they're a little more open about talking about you. And of course, everybody has their take on things. And that's one of the reasons why I'm trying to go and uh, have some interaction with those that do not quite believe like we believe. And, uh, because everyone, everyone, I don't care who they are, everyone wants to find hope. They really do. Pastor alluded to that, that the lost and dying world, they, they're, they're really not hung up about how uh, thick our padding on our pews are or anything like or the color of our carpet is. And, and by the way, is it not a shame that many of our churches, they'll go ahead and fuss and fight about the stinking color of the carpet when lost people are all around them going to hell? I, I, I was talking to my Jewish uh, friend there, and he, they had just laid new carpet and, uh, and I said, yeah. I said, boy, did that cause you any problems? He said, well, it did cause us some problems because we had this guy who thought he was kind of cute. Somewhere they were uh, in the wedding, uh, a Jewish wedding, something about goats was made mention. He thought it'd be kind of cute to bring some goats to his wedding. The only problem is the wedding was inside. And so he brought two goats in. The goats were not housebroken. So you can imagine... The, the family that donated the carpet were quite upset. They didn't find any humor in that. And I, and I started to talk. I said, you know what? I, here's, I said, I don't know if it's... Uh, uh, but I said, uh, in, in the church that I attend, I said, it seems like it's those little things that get people sideways. You might compete, preach some bad theology and they'll kind of overlook that. But you don't mess around the color of the carpet or I don't like the tile of the brick and all that kind of stuff. And I said, it's interesting. It's the little things that get us off kilter. He says, oh, it works the same way in the Jewish community too. 
Is that not a shame? We spend more time worrying about this and that when there's a lost world that's looking for hope. They're looking for someone to come and say, there is hope and His name is Jesus. There's one that you can trust in. And then we go ahead and say, well, I don't know enough Scripture. Just tell them what Jesus did for you. Just tell them that I was lost. I was on my way to hell. But somebody took time out and introduced me to this Lord Jesus. And I realized that I was in need of a Savior. And one night I got down on my knees and I cried out the best way I knew how. I didn't even have a preacher. I didn't even have a deacon to help me. I just cried out. Lord, I'm lost. I need a Savior. I need you, Jesus. And Jesus came into my life and I've never been the same. That's all you need to tell them. Just tell them what Jesus did for you. And tell them that at one time I had no hope, but now I have a blessed hope that no matter what happens to me, I'm a winner. I talked about it in Sunday school. Uh, Brother Tom, we all know, is an Alabama fan. And there are some of you other radicals out there that are along with that. And I said, have you noticed that when somebody's a winner, they got a little bit of a swag with them, don't they? They do. I'm not saying they're arrogant or anything like that, but they got a little bit of swag. You can tell it when Alabama comes out, they got a little swag. Because why? Because they're winners. They have confidence. They, they, they have confidence. And they come out, you know. Now, I've been on some very poor teams. My team is one of those. They've done lost two in a row. I'm telling you, I see how they come out of that tunnel. They don't come out like Alabama. They come out like, hope we don't lose this one. Hope we don't lose this one. We done got beat two games in a row. Alabama comes out and says, we're going to do it. We're, we're going to bring it down. We're going to bring it home. That's confidence. Listen, we're winners in the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it about time we acted like it? I'm not saying we have a swagger about us. I'm not saying we're boastful. I'm not saying we're pious. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that when you go to somebody, you will have confidences. I'm telling you, here's who will give you hope. And I'm telling you because I learned it firsthand. And because I'm going through this rough time. By the way, they won't pay much attention as long as things are going well at your household. But when things start going south and you still have that confidence, that's when they perk up and they say, Hey man, what's happening? you. I know that your, your family uh, you got a, a daughter that's in the hospital. Uh, you, you've been a wife is diagnosed with cancer uh, but you still have a smile on your face. Man, what, what is it? What is it? He says, I have a blessed hope because I know, now I know whatever happens here, I'm still a winner. Paul said it this way. Paul says, if the Lord go ahead and take me home, I'll win. But if he chooses to leave me down here, I'll still win. Folks, I'm telling you, we're in a win-win situation. And it's about time we say, uh, talk to a lost and dying world that has no hope, that they can hope, have hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. But your talk better match your walk. And here's where we're at. He says, we have a better hope. Our hope is not, as the writer says, a cardinal commandment. 
Man, what he's referring to, he's talking about you had to operate in the flesh. But we have a blessed hope. Not in our performance. Not in our abilities. But upon what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us on Calvary's tree. If you're here tonight, you can have that hope. You can have that hope. So, Brother Mike, I have that hope. I'm securing that hope. Let me ask you this. Have you been telling others about it? I'm afraid I might stir up things. So, Pastor did a wonderful job this morning, told us that we're to obey God. By the way, do you really believe that God's going to take care of you? Do you really believe that? Then why are you not obeying when He says to go and tell? Now, I'm not saying to be arrogant about it and not disrespectful. I'm not saying that at all. It's amazing to me where we're saying things like, well, I don't understand why they're having games on Sunday. We, we shouldn't be playing ball on Sunday. Oh, why don't you let your child go? Well, if I don't go, he might not, be, you know, the coach won't use it. Then, then you have another issue. See, we, we've cowered down. We really have. Well, I just don't want to stir things up. Maybe we need to stir things up. Not being arrogant. I'm not saying going having signs and all that. What I'm saying is that you go with confidence. And you go and you tell, but you've got to show as well. So maybe there's some of us that just need to go ahead and act like we're winners. Things happen to us. We get down and out just like the lost world. We wring our hands just like the lost world. Do you really believe that God has everything under control? Then we ought to act like it. I don't know about you, but I like to be on a winning team. And the best team that you can be a part of is Team Jesus. By the way, he's undefeated. No, no, you didn't hear what I said. He's undefeated. He'll never lose. You'll always win when you go with Jesus.